Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I sit down with Megan McDonough. Megan has had an amazing career. She spent over 20 years climbing at Intel. She talks about the different opportunities she encountered that gave her the confidence to lead into the CMO role she sits in today. Her first CMO gig was with Realware, and now she is CMO at Imperity. Now, usually I don't focus on what the company does, but the solution of her current employer shaped our conversation today. That is a CDP. Now, why do I need a CDP? CDPs are customer data platforms. We tackle the keys to knowing and understanding our buyers. Now, at the same time, if you're like me, you may have been confused at times. The debate is, do I need a CDP if I have a CRM and I have a map? Megan unpacks the need to unify and understand our buyer, being in a position where we can understand the channel interactions from brands like Patagonia and Under Armour in her case, so they can connect with consumers and deliver a more personalized experience. Now, a lot of those examples I just gave you are on the consumer side, but we also roll that over to learnings in B2B marketing. Here's my chat with Megan on all of that and more. Megan, welcome to the show. I am thrilled that you're here and I want to jump in and talk about making the jump to a CMO uh, gig after a very long run at a company like Intel. I mean, you were there 20 plus years and I'm curious, what was the catalyst to tell you it was time? You know, I, I had an amazing career at, at Intel. I learned, you know, the good thing about a big company is you have the opportunity to bounce around from department to department and kind of build your skills, you know, while not really leaving, leaving the building uh, necessarily. So that was, that was amazing. But, you know, I had done uh, the rounds in many jobs. I, I was in uh, the new business group, which is like a startup within a big company, which is amazing. I've been in marketing strategy. I worked on uh, the Intel inside program. So um, I got a lot of partner experience. I actually worked on an account team. I, I worked on Microsoft. So I, I had a really well-rounded experience. And I got to the point where I was thinking, there's got to be something else that I could, you know, if I was successful at this company, I can be successful at another company. And and I, I realized it and said, I, I got to find another opportunity. At the same time, a, a CMO opportunity uh, was presented to me. And I was being recruited for it um, to go to Realware, which was an industrial wearable company. And I thought, you know what, maybe this is uh, the opportunity to kind of jump off uh, of Intel and, and try something new and kind of be responsible for all of the marketing and, and taking my experiences that I had gained at Intel and, you know, applying them to uh, a new area. It, it was somewhat safe in that I was going from hardware to hardware. So I thought, you know, I might as well try it. I, I appreciate the honesty there. And, and I, I know for anyone making that jump is overwhelming. And especially when you've had so much opportunity, like you were continually given at Intel, 
if as you look back now, and, and again, this is now your second CMO opportunity in parity, and you've obviously proven not only can you get one opportunity, but a lot of people want you in that seat. Is there any points where you look back and you try and convince yourself, I should have done it, you know, five years earlier or 10 years earlier? And, and is there any signs that you would give to people as to how they can self-assess when they're ready to make that jump? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if I would have left uh, maybe a year or two uh, in my last year or two at Intel where just thinking about, you know, what does my next career progression look like? You know, you get to a certain level of experience and kind of age and kind of where you're willing to jump off in your career. You know, when you're at a big company that has really good perks every year, it's really hard to think about decouple that from, you know, the experience from what am I giving up? Um, So it's kind of a risk reward uh, conversation to yourself. And I was at a stage where maybe that risk reward was, was a little bit different because my kids were older and I could, you know, take that risk. Uh, It was right for my family. And so I think it was, I came to the opportunity, you know, to the realization that this was the time to jump off where earlier for me, at least it wouldn't have been quite right given um, the family responsibilities that I had and just some of the financial perks that are, that are really difficult to, uh, to, to give up when you're, when you're at a company like, like, a, a, you know, a big company that has, that just has a lot of things to offer. No, absolutely. I I think that's understandable. And a lot of people I've spoken to, there's that balance between, I don't even want to call it comfort, but I think it's, it's the elements that allow you to live with assurance versus now you're in a world where there's a lot of upside, I'm sure, as much as you've earned the ability to probably get a a very uh, reasonable salary for your experience. But how do you look at each of these opportunities that you've taken now as a CMO and determine whether the upside is worth the risk? Is, is there certain questions you ask in your interview process or as, as you kind of do your own research that gives you that assurance? Yeah. So when I, when I started looking at my first CMO opportunity, I started looking at what kind of partnerships do they have? What kind of exposure has this company gotten? Um, what uh, segment are they in? And is this a a new opportunity that that can scale to the future? Right? Is it a, is it a niche product or is it a product that actually uh, is changing the way that um, that the world works? I'll take for an example when I was looking at Realware. This was an example to really empower the frontline worker with new technology that helps them communicate uh, better with their subject matter experts. So, for example, you know, all four dealerships had used the the wearable uh, when they're on the service bay to actually call a subject matter expert to get help in fixing a car faster, right? So you are empowering these frontline workers to actually take control of their jobs, which is a pretty which is pretty cool. So. It's, you know, as companies are digitally trans transforming, I thought, you know, that's a really interesting opportunity. Um, and it's changing the way that an entire workforce that we started to really discover during the pandemic, right? There were all these frontline workers that we realized were so important to the world. And if, you know, helping, helping them uh, by giving them new technology and getting them on a different path, I thought was a pretty cool opportunity as an example. 
And uh, so that was the one thing I looked at, for example, at um, the realware. And then as I was looking at and considering um, Amparity, just looking at the type of customers that they uh, that they have, what problem are they solving? And is this problem going to, you know, how how big is this problem? How many companies does this affect? Is this problem going to continue and, and be more needed in the future? Or is it going to be solved quickly? Um, so for example, with Amparity, the... Um, I'm sure you're very well aware of the third-party cookie demise uh, going away and the the fact that first-party data is becoming more and more critical to companies' success, in the, in, especially in marketing. Um, you know, how can I be involved in helping to uh, solve that problem uh, with marketers as well as, as you know, IT who are, who are supporting the marketing team. So knowing that this was a problem that was actually probably going to continue to get worse versus uh, being solved in the short term. So looking at that as, wow, that there really is a, a long-term opportunity there for me to make an impact. It's interesting. I, I, I think about what you just shared and, you know, to share with our listeners, you and I were chatting before we went live today and, and you explained it in parody. There's also this element of big brands that you work with who have a portfolio of brands and, and the need to unite them. And, and I think about what you're walking us through and I, I can kind of summarize it for myself is, is there an opportunity to solve for a specific pain or a large organizational pain that goes across multiple business units? And, you know, is that something that you took from Intel? Because no question at Intel, there was the ability to sell into so many different segments as much as, you know, they were known for a chip at the base. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I've made that, uh, those parallels, but probably, I mean, the good thing about working at a big company is you get exposure to so many different work on different products. I had the opportunity to market to different audiences, right? So I ran gaming, I ran consumer, I ran B2B, um, just thinking about those audiences and how do they how do I relate to them and how do I um, drive the right uh, marketing campaigns towards them? So, you know, in parallel, you know, at at Amparity, we do have a lot of customers that um, have B2C companies that are maybe owned by a parent company. And there's not only the need to unify their customer data for each of those single individual companies, but how do they use their portfolio to cross market and saying if if I have a customer on brand X, do you think that they would actually be a really good customer for brand Y? But it all starts with if you know if they if they need to understand uh, their customers really well first, and that's where um, the current company that I'm at, Amparity, helps um, by unifying all of their data, and then they can say, okay, then how do we use it and take the take parallel customer 360 profiles and say hey, given their attributes, they would actually be a really good fit for another another company in my portfolio. So how do we actually use that to, to our advantage? So there's kind of multiple benefits for those companies that happen to just own uh, many companies within their larger portfolio. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. 
Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. have to tell you, it is pretty rare to speak to someone who's been as open as Megan was with us in terms of the risks that she saw in jumping from a company like Intel, where it was comfortable, there were assurances to a high growth environment where that's, let's be honest, less assured. Now, what I like about her thinking through this was it was doing so at the right time. One where she had the right comfort for her personal life, where she could embrace the risk. And that's something we all need to do because I can't tell you how many times I've sat with someone, not just on a podcast, but an in-person live interview for a job opportunity. And they ignore those shifts. They ignore the changes that are gonna happen from one organization to the next. Going into that and being prepared as Megan has done is your ability to embrace what might be ahead. Megan, we are going to hit on this second half of the podcast on two pun intended messy areas, and that is data and knowing our audience. Now, from the data perspective, I think all of us as marketers crave the idea of a clean database, but that gets even harder, especially with some of the companies you work with, where they have all these brands. So I mean, I'm thinking when I was growing up and shopping at Banana Republic in the Gap, and they just couldn't <laughs> figure out that, you know, I'm the same person, yet I'm two different people. Uh, not that you work with either of those companies to solve for that, but but I'm sure you can relate to that problem yourself as a consumer. Yes, uh, I can. I mean, uh, how many times do you get an email or you get an Instagram, you know, post or multiple catalogs in the mail where it's very clear that the brand doesn't know you as a customer. And in today's uh, world, the expectations from consumers are they really want to interact with brands that know them because they want a personalized experience. You're much more likely to engage with a brand that delivers you a, a, a customer experience that you can relate to. And that when they when a brand feels like, or when a customer feels like a brand knows them, they're much more likely to interact with that brand, but you get very turned off when they don't, especially, you know, think of those, <clears throat> those times where you're being sent an ad that uh, for maybe a pair of pants that you bought last week or for something that uh, you don't know why the brand would ever target you. Um, for example, I've for years gotten the American girls catalog. I've never bought anything from American girls doll and I don't have girls. I only have boys, so I should really only get catalogs that are that are boy focused. Or the time when you get, you know, you get multiple catalogs uh, from the same company that is all addressed to you, and they haven't merged all any of their databases. And it, the sad thing is, that's really expensive for a market for a for a brand to. It's it's a lot of waste, right? So I, I remember probably ten years ago, and I don't know why I remember this example so clearly, but I went to this. Uh, outdoor event and they had all these cool cars that you could jump in and out of. It was a Volkswagen uh, display. And I went with my three kids who at that point were really young. 
and interacted and filled out an iPad of some sort, which got me on their list. And then I started getting emails about this, uh, you know, two door sunroof, uh, you know, pullback experience, very sporty. And I'm thinking like, I spoke to someone there. I filled out on the form that I had kids, like all these things that in theory they knew about me, yet they treated me like I was still in university buying my first car coming out of graduation. Uh, right. And that's a big, that's a big turnoff, right? It is. It, it just feels unpersonalized. So I, I guess with all of that, that we can all relate to, we all still get this. What is the opportunity to, to better understand our buyer? Yeah. So uh, what we, what the current company I work at does is it helps brands unify all of their customer data from multiple data sources. Think about if you are with a company that has both offline and uh, offline, like a retail store, for example, and an e-commerce site. Well, you have all this transactional data that's coming in from the store. And then you have, uh, maybe you have e-commerce data and, and maybe the person is also in your loyalty program, right? In order to really understand your customer, you need to merge all of those disparate groups of data so you can create one unified uh, view of the customer. Because you might go into a store and use your credit card and never tell them that you're part of the loyalty program. Or you might buy online and you just didn't click into that. You didn't give your loyalty number because you just didn't feel like signing in with your email. Or maybe you have multiple emails in this with the same company, right? And so how, if a brand can help, if we can help a brand unify all of that data, it lets them create a 360 degree profile of their customers. So they understand the lifetime value of that customer. Um, they understand what do they react to? What are their buying trends? What kind of products do they seem to like? Um, and it creates a much better view. We even have a lot of, uh, companies that utilize this unified database to hydrate things like their customer service department. So let me give you an example. So when you, let's say when you return um, something to a company and it's usually a very painful customer service call when you're like, Hey, where's my return? How can I, where's my you know refund? I haven't gotten it. But imagine if the customer uh, service uh, team answered the phone and said, Hey, Randy, Oh, I know that you, you sent back the package. And by the way, your, you know, hundred dollars is going to be, uh, refunded tomorrow. And by the way, you know, it looks like you returned a size medium shirt, uh, even though you bought a medium and a large, can I, can I connect you with a product expert to help you make sure you understand like how you fit into our, our brand. That would be a much better engagement, not only for you as a customer, but also imagine being the customer service rep who's delighting the customer instead of probably frustrating the customer. Cause it's usually, you know, the complaint department. So if you unify that data first, that's that's pretty amazing to have that customer view. That sounds like a dream come true, especially without having to press six numbers before they know who <laughs> I am, to your point. You know, press one if you're from this segment. Let's take this to more of a global level of where a CDP, a customer data platform, lives in our technology stack. Because I, I've spoken to a lot of marketers, both B2B marketers and B2C marketers. I know a lot of the companies you work with, companies like Patagonia, Alaska Airlines, Under Armour. I mean, these are more consumer brands and the stories we just talked through are consumer brands. But even at the B2B level, there's starting to be this question of, well, do I need a CDP? Because if I have a CRM and I also have perhaps a marketing automation platform, Marketo, Adobe, uh, you know, insert your, your flavor of choice, 
where does a CDP come into play and what becomes the holy grail of customer data in your opinion? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think why this question keeps coming up is because the, um, the term CDP or the category is very confusing. There's a lot of companies that uh, define themselves as a CDP, or uh, but they don't necessarily, every company does something a little bit different. So it's really confusing if you're trying to solve a certain problem and uh, you, you know, you, you buy a CDP and it doesn't solve, doesn't solve what you were looking for. So how we think we're different as a CDP is we actually unify all of those customer profiles. So we ingest data from all of these different, you know, disparate um, data sets and then stitch it together and create these customer 360 views before you send it to an Adobe uh, experience cloud or Salesforce marketing cloud or whatever um, marketing or your loyalty program or whatever marketing, you know, downstream marketing uh, orchestration or marketing tool that you want to use. So if you don't actually get that data set um, unified, then you're not solving the, at least the problems that we are helping our customers with, right? So, and really understanding um, who those customers are. So, you know, that, that, so it really depends on, you know, CDP category is just so big that it, it makes it super confusing for uh, a customer to engage. It's really interesting. I, you know, as you describe this, and I, I teed off this section of our chat talking about cleaning up data, uh, and it sounds like the evolution here perhaps is going beyond just cleansing data and more, as you said, unifying data. That definitely makes sense, especially as you put it in a consumer world. Maybe this is even more challenging than a B two B world where we have more channels, if you will. Uh, it's not all digital or digital plus events. You have retail, you have different brands, you, but, but at the same time, you are unifying at the end of the day. And, and I'm curious how much that comes just into the language you use. I mean, that word was something you dropped, I picked up on. Is that unification something that your audience is craving? I think it is. I mean, the whole company, the, the reason the company was founded is because if you, you know, if you survey marketers and say, how important is having a single view of the customer? You know, about, you know, seven years ago when the company was started, it was about 6% of that. And, and about 90% said, you know, it's a top priority that they want to go do, yet only 6% of them had solved it. And if you fast forward, you know, seven years, um, that number hasn't changed that much. Uh, I would say it's um, it's probably more about you know twelve percent have actually solved it, and you still have a huge percentage that's saying it's a really important thing that I want to go do. But a lot of them have actually deployed a, C a CDP or they've implemented a CDP. So the CDP that they chose is not necessarily solve that that data problem for them, even though it may have helped them in in other ways. So it's really important to make sure when you are um, looking for a CDP that you understand that that unification is is really critical to that data foundation um, because it does hydrate all of your downstream um, marketing uh, tools that you that are very you know important in the stack that you currently have. Um, but the the other good thing is this isn't just a marketing or um, it's not just helping marketers to have 
a unified view of the customer, it really helps the IT and analytics team. So imagine, um, you know, being in data analytics and marketing comes to you and says, hey, can you run a report or can you help me with a list of this? And knowing that your data is not cleaned and, and, and pulled together, you're, you're just, you're not going to give very good results and, and to help your marketing team, right? So the, you know, that, that unified database can, can help, you know, multiple groups within, within these companies. Really fascinating. Megan, we are going to take one more break here. I've got some rapid fire questions for you right back here on the marketer's turn. I'll be honest, I have never loved that word data cleansing, the need to cleanse our data or that we have dirty data. I love the term that we talked about today, which is the unification of data, the ability to look at all the different signals coming into our organization and determine which ones need to work side by side, understanding that some may conflict or some may be ignored to be important to better understand our buyer. And I think that's where we need to get to. We're moving away from having to necessarily cleanse our data, having so much data to deal with, to fully bring it together and get that 360 view. I believe that is the role of a CDP. Now, whether you'll need a CDP in addition to your CRM and your map, or just better ways to ensure that all these technologies work together or within the platforms that we are building, that's the key. But at the end of the day, the more unified we are, the better we can be in how we personalize to our audience. Megan, we have talked about your journey and you took 20 years before you got to the CMO opportunity. So no question you had the tour of duty. But is your belief that the next CMO out there is better off going broad in terms of their knowledge gathering or really going deep on an area of marketing to become a CMO? I think having a broad experience has helped me with the CMO job because all of a sudden the full marketing accountability is under, under my responsibility. And the fact that I've had experience across the board has, has really helped me. So I, if, if I had to advise somebody, I would say, you know, get that broad experience before you uh, go into the CMO role. Interesting. So I want to, I want to jump to another area that we didn't talk a lot about today, which was content and the role of content. Obviously understanding your buyer is key to that, but what type of content really jumps out to you in the marketing that drops in your mailbox or through an ad out there these days? Yeah, I think uh, the more personalized, the better. So it has to be relevant to me and to you know what I'm doing. It has to be placed in a uh, in the right context. So that's the type of content that that's really going to um, reside well with me. And what I try to actually you know tell to my team, right? So right place, right time. Uh, it has to be personalized for what that person or that target audience is doing, with a, a very simple message. That's what I think is uh, is most personal is is most effective. So you hit the word personalized probably three or four times in that answer, and it's it's really been the theme of our discussion today. Definitely in the second part of of our discussion, I'm curious what personalization means to you at this stage because a lot of the data that is flowing through a CDP or a CRM or a map, depending on what solution you're using, you know, there's a lot of high level demographic details, but 
when you say ability to solve my problem, how can you use that data to actually personalize in your marketing? Well, I mean, if you know, you know, for example, what a customer tends to buy when they tend to shop, um, the types of things that they like, you're able to serve them an ad that, you know, features a product maybe that's in the product suite that they tend to go for, or the timing of, oh, this person always buys on Black Friday, or they always buy, you know, two weeks before X holiday or around this person's birthday, you're able to tailor those experiences much better than just kind of guessing at what this person's going to like. But that means that you really have to understand that customer and what their buying patterns are and uh, a little bit more knowledge about them as a, as a person or as a customer. That's really well put. And, it, and the most important thing there is you're moving so far beyond I know your name into I know your trends and I know your behaviors and I know your preferences. I think I think that's so key right now, especially with the content we serve. So my my last question for you is is all about balance. And, and we talked about your career journey. We talked about trying to map this buyer journey. But how do you balance the personal side? How do you balance, you know, the responsibilities of your home? Um, I know you don't have to buy American Girl dolls now, but, uh, you know, I'm sure there's other things that require your attention at home despite distractions at work. Yeah, I think it's all about flexibility. And, you know, there's not really a, the balance is one of those words that I don't think ever comes to life. But I always look at how I make sure I'm with a company that gives me the flexibility to get my job done when I need to, but um, also lets me, you know, balance it with my my personal life. Meaning, um, if I can get workouts done in the morning, or I have to go to my child's school for an event, that's okay. As long as I get my work done, no one's no one's tracking me and making me sit at a desk from a certain time. But they just trust and empower me to to get my job done, and that flexibility has allowed me to actually, you know, stay close to my personal life and my family and, and, uh, and really engage there, but also, you know, really be able to dive in on my work and make sure I'm living up to those responsibilities too. So there's a little bit of give and take, you know, you have to be flexible on, on when that happens. And sometimes it's, it's overbalanced on work. And sometimes it's a little bit overbalanced on personal, depending on what's going on. That's that's great advice, and and I'm sure the same mindset you're bringing to leadership with your own team, which is so important for so many CMOS listening in or or want to be CMOS listening in. You know, as you get there, it's not no longer just about you know, as Megan said, you know, the balance for you, but the balance for your team. Megan, this has been a fantastic journey to listen to, to hear one that's still going without a doubt. If you've tuned in and heard about Megan's for the first time. Go listen back to all the other great CMOs who have joined me on this podcast. Everyone's journey is a little bit different, a little bit unique. I'm sure yours is taking its own path. Maybe one day you'll join me to share it yourself. Until next time, thanks so much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.